um, did it take anybody, uh, was it hard to get here for anybody else this morning? Right? Praise God. Because we're here and we made it. Um, let's, let's pray first. And let's take a moment to surrender all our distractions to God. I just feel like that's really important this morning for me especially. So, Holy Father, we just come before you and we surrender ourselves to you. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help um, take away all the distractions that are in our mind this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to deliver us of, of all the worry and the fear that we have this morning. And we just ask that you would... Um, minister to us, Holy Father, that your message would be clear and precise, Lord, and that would cut through our hearts, God, that we would know that you're talking to us, Father God. We worship you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I got the um, very difficult question of what does God want? And um, thankfully, he is going to answer that for you, not me. So um, we're going to start. <laughs> we're going to start in Hebrews 11. And um, verses 36 through 39, and I think it's up there. Um, it says, some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, and some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. So right off the bat this morning, um, there's a theme that I want to get across to you that we don't always get to see God's promises come to pass. But does that mean that we jump off the ship and abandon ship or lose sight of who's guiding the ship? No. Um, we have to focus on who is guiding the ship and stay there. And surrender our lives to him. So often we think that our success um, as Christians is so important, but really it's not about being successful. God cares very little about our success. He cares more about our hearts. And something that I've um, remembered, I think it was a couple years ago, Amelie was up here speaking, and, and she said that God doesn't measure our success by our achievements. He measures it by our, um, by our willingness so I always remember that when I, you know, when I'm feeling like I've failed or I haven't done anything, you haven't done things right or whatever, I always, I always make sure that I, I, my heart is willing and I'm, and I'm there. And even though I don't get the results I wanted to, Lord, am I, am I willing? Am I there? Am I surrendered to you and, and seeking after what you want for my life? So with willing hearts, let's jump into our outline and discover what God wants. Um, our first point is God wants obedience. And that's kind of a no-brainer. We know this, right? But why are we so disobedient all the time <laughs> if we know that God wants obedience? Um, in the book Thriving in Babylon, I love this quote. He says that our job is not to win the battle. It's to follow God's battle plan. And right away, my favorite um, story in the Bible popped in my head, Gideon. I love this story. If you haven't read it, Judges 6 do it this week. So, but in Judges 7, Gideon is facing the Midianites, and he has this, this battle that he has to go into. But Gideon had 32,320 men in his command. But God had different plans, and first, um, he let go, he had Gideon let go of 22,000 men. 
Second, Gideon, you still have too many men. What? <laughs> he had Gideon let go of another 10,000 men. And he was left with a, um, a very discouraging number of 300 men in his command. And the number, um, his number before was pretty, you know, it felt pretty good. But now, what am I going to do with 300 men, God? How am I going to do this? And um, the interesting thing that we don't usually get is God told Gideon to go down to the camp. It, you know, I want you to go and I want you to trust me, but go and listen at what they're go and listen to what they're talking about in that camp. So he goes down, he takes someone with him, and I'm I'm assuming they they crouched in the bushes or something and they're listening. And one of the soldiers said that he had a dream. And he was explaining the dream to another soldier. And this soldier had the inter interpretation of the dream. And Gideon got to hear all of this. And it says that the battle is going to be, uh, or Israel is going to be victorious in this battle. It or Israel is going to win. And so he left, came back to his 300 men with all of this confidence. I have to wonder what those men were thinking. <laughs> um, and he was so confident because God had given the, him this glimpse and he knew that he was going to be victorious. And he split up the guys in three different groups, it says, and every guy had a trumpet, a torch, and a glass jar. And I like this because it's so strategic because if he would have had the 32,000, not every man would have had a trumpet, a glass jar, and a, and a torch. Only certain people would have had, you know, one thing or the other. And so from the camp, Midianite, the Midianites would have heard, you know, they heard that all 300 jars breaking, all 300 tr trumpets blaring, and all 300 torches, they were like, oh my gosh, Israel has a lot of guys. But really, they didn't. But this isn't what caused confusion. The Bible is um, clear that it says in, in verse 22 of Judges 7, it says that God caused confusion. He caused a confusion in the camp. And so even though Gideon was pretty smart in what he did, God caused that confusion. Um, and the Midianites started killing each other, and they just went crazy and ran away. And then the Israelites pursued them, and more Israelites came, you know, further on in a different place. And anyways, the battle was won. But what I want to get across is this was clearly um, God's battle plan and not the battle that Gideon had in mind. Um, God's plan didn't sound convincing, but Gideon trusted in God and put his emphasis on the plan that God had for the battle and not, and he took his eyes off of what the end result that he thought should have been. And we can apply this in the way that we evangelize today, in the way that we walk as Christians today. Um, sometimes we are way too focused on the battle, am I right? Um, than the battle plan that God has for our life. We, um, we forget that the battle isn't ours anyways. And sometimes we're focused on, you know, changing so-and-so's beliefs and, and making sure that, you know, we're always right. We have the right opinion, and, and we, want, um, we want to win that battle. We're all into debating, especially now. And we don't think about the battle plan. We think about, I'm right, and I'm going to win this battle. No matter how I'm going to do it, I'm, I'm going to get my point across. But God wants us to be have our mindset on his battle plan and how we're walking out um, that battle. And um, his result is always, usually, um, completely different from our, our own. 
Um, it says winning or losing is not the right scorecard. Obedience is. When we do the right thing, we're being faithful, even if we get the wrong result. And that was in the book Thriving in, Bat- in Babylon as well. So um, no matter how we think things should end up, it's really what's important is our obedience to God and how we walk that out. Going on to point number two, it says God wants us to have hope. And something that uh, I studied about hope was that Daniel's hope was totally different from the way that we view hope. Um, I like to say that he hoped just like he knew 2 plus 2 equals 4. You can debate all you want that 2 plus 2 equals 5, but it really equals 4. So he hoped because he knew. He knew that he knew that God was going before him. He knew that he knew no matter how horrible things looked outside his window, how much persecution there was, he knew that he knew that he knew that God was going to be faithful in his promises. And just like we read in Hebrews, even if he didn't see those promises come to pass in his lifetime, he knew that he knew that he could trust in God and he was faithful to do that. Um, hope comes from obediently walking with God. And when we walk with God obediently, we get to experience God and we get to, we get to know his attributes. We get to know his character. We get to know and partake of his power and we get to know, um, come to know his faithfulness. And so do you see how hope and obedience intertwine? Um, as we walk obediently with God, we realize where our hope lies and where in, in whom we trust. And he's so good and he's so big and we can trust in him. And that's all we need. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Praise be to God, the Father, to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. We were born into a living hope, ladies, and that's a big, wonderful thing. Um, our third point is God wants humility. And this, this is in a very important part. Um, because just like hope, I think sometimes we don't, we don't know how to grasp the word humility. We're not really sure what it means. So what it doesn't mean is humility doesn't mean having low self-esteem, doesn't mean lack of ambition, it doesn't mean downplaying of our accomplishments. For example, say you're really great with kids, and you know that you're really great with kids, but you need to be humble. So you think, I can't tell Pastor Joe or Pastor Carolyn I'm really great with kids. I have to wait for them to figure it out and ask me to be a part of Kids Town. No, ladies, that's not how that works. That's downplaying our accomplishments. That's downplaying the talents and gifts that God has given us. And so that's not humility. Humility is serving others, okay? And it's putting their needs and their interests above our own. Serving those who deserve it and serving those who don't deserve it. And that's really big because it's super easy to serve the people that we love. Am I right? It's easy to serve our family. It's easy to serve our friends. It's easy to serve our la- the ladies at our table. Even, you know, s- to serve at our church, that's, that's pretty easy, you know? But to serve those who aren't deserving of, in our minds, of being uh, served, that's what's hard. But God doesn't make exceptions, and we can't either. Um, In Philippians 2, we have the biggest, most amazing example of humility, and we're, we're encouraged to strive for this. 
It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And there it is, super clear. We continue saying, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." And like I said, this is the ultimate example of humility. And Paul encourages us to, um, to strive for that. Though we fall short very often, obviously, we're supposed to strive to serve more and serve better. Um, because when we choose humility, that's when people start to notice us and notice Christ's love in us. When we choose humility, that's when we start to stand out. And people might... People might not want to accept our, you know, us serving them because it totally goes in opposite direction of what the law of the land is. Am I right? And this is why God wants us to serve because in where we live in this society, it's our own advancement at all costs. Am I right? But when we choose serving and when we choose humility, that's when people are going to be like, why did you do that for me? I don't understand. And then Little by little, it opens the door for us to share Christ with people. Even people in this, in this building who, who are, are worn down, they need to know that you're there and, you can, and you're going to serve them no matter, how, no matter what you think about them because you're, you're uh, serving out of God and you're serving with his love and you're, that's what we're called to do. Um, so we just need to be intentional about serving. And I think even more so, make sure we're being, because just like I said, it's so easy to just serve who we like. We need to be intentional to serve who we don't think deserve it and make sure that we're keeping that in check and, and, and not making exceptions in our, in our serving. Our fourth point is God wants us to have wisdom. And this is so, so important, ladies, because I think, I think wisdom is a daily choice that we have to make. Because so often we get distracted and, and we think our opinion and we think we're so smart and we think that we have all the answers. But wisdom is really hard. You know, we get, we get caught up in, in a moment, we, we, especially as women, right? We talk a lot without thinking. We write posts on Facebook without thinking because we're caught up in things. We're frustrated and we're angry and we just split it out. But then guess what? You can't take it back. You can't take it back, and it's there in front of whoever is looking at you, and that's really hard. So it's so important to choose wisdom daily, and we serve a wise God, and we serve a God who will give us wisdom. Just we, All we need to do is ask, and we don't ask because we think we're wise, and we think we don't need to ask, and um, I think wisdom goes a lot um, along the lines of discernment too, when, when we're wise and we're, we're listening to the Holy Spirit and we're asking the Holy Spirit to discern for discernment and help when we're faced with difficult things, um, a lot of times I've become, I, I, from personal experience, isn't it easy to justify our own 
like our own opinion and our own actions. Like, this isn't ungodly, Lord. Lord God, give me discernment. And then here, Holy Spirit is giving us discernment, kind of telling us to go this way. But we're like, but this isn't bad. What, what's wrong with this? The ob- disobedience is the wrong thing. And we're, we're, we ask and we ask, give me discernment, give me wisdom. But then when we have it and when God is, is delivering his part, we don't take respons- our responsibility and we don't take the action that we need to take. And that's why it's so important. And in Proverbs um, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, it says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. How powerful is that? And how easy is it to obtain it, but we just don't seek it enough. Um, Something that I, I, I loved learning about Daniel is that Daniel chose his battles. And this is big because... Just thinking to the name that he was given, he was named after Nebuchadnezzar's God. Like, as a Jew, how how offensive. <laughs> you're, you mean, I'm coming in your country and you're going to call me this, and it's totally unholy, right? But he didn't, he didn't get his feathers all fluffed up. You see throughout the, throughout the book, people called him by his not, non-name, and he didn't, he didn't oppose because you know what? He knew where his identity lied. He knew who he was. He knew who was his God, and it didn't matter what they called him. Choosing his battles, and we don't choose our battles, <laughs> right? Um, we see Daniel also being wise and not forcing his lifestyle on those around him. He's in the middle of this ungodly culture, and did we see him protesting and saying, why aren't you guys praying three times a day? You guys need to be praying three times a day, like me. He just did what he knew he needed to do and didn't force it on everybody else because how, how so often we, f- we, we throw our judgment on people just barely walking through our church doors or people who are walking outside. They don't know Christ, some of them. They don't know his love, and we expect them to act as though they're there and they get it. And they don't. And oftentimes, um, you know, like today we expect, we expect cri- uh, companies that never claim to be Christian companies to act Christian and to act godly. And that's just doesn't work. They don't, they never, it was, they never claimed it. Um, and so in doing this and not forcing his lifestyle on, 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 on other people, Daniel earned his right to be heard. He was called upon in moments of, of tension and stress, and he, his, his, his interpretations were respected and heard and, and accepted. And, and that's so important in this day. We're n- if, if we are all flustered and, and getting, you know, 
crazy over every opposition and everything that sometimes isn't really a big deal in the in the scheme of things when we put our perspective up high we're we're kind of we're not earning our right to be heard in the moment when really we we could be you know our word could be accepted um in reading the book thriving in babylon there was something that struck a chord and it said oftentimes taking a stand does nothing to draw people to jesus it does just the opposite and yes a lot of times taking a stand is exactly what we're called to do and we and we need to be obedient in that but sometimes the things that we decide to stand for they do nothing to draw the people that are watching us to jesus they do the opposite um and and once again it's it's that battle it's are we so focused on being the right person or being the right having the right word and the right opinion and and all these things that we're forgetting that holy father your plan is so much bigger than my my opinion and my desire to be right um it took a lot of wisdom on daniel's part to maneuver the ins and outs of the babylonian culture and everything that he had to face and i think that we need a lot of wisdom always and especially in this day to maneuver the things that we're facing as a people and as a church as Christ's body um and he, and he's so good to give us wisdom he's so good to give us discernment and we also need to ask God to give us the power to follow those things when he when he gives it to us and um did you know that there's 31 chapters in Proverbs I think that's very intentional because that means we can re- we can read a proverb every day. And I learned yesterday while I was speaking that that means you'll read Proverbs 12 times in one year. <laughs> and um, that I've I've I have applied that discipline in my life since I was uh, uh, younger. And there is always something new that I see in Proverbs. Always, always. And it's so funny because sometimes, you know, you're reading, it's like, well, that's common sense, but why don't I apply it to my life? I don't know. So that's why it's intentional. And we need to, we need to bring, constantly ask for God's wisdom in the things that we are facing. So important. And um, I want to end in Hebrews 12. And I forgot to add it to my, my outline. So in Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet raised to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And so as we as we are facing uh, things that, that are just hard to face and, and where we're baffled by, by the choices that we see made around us. Let us not forget who it's all about. Let us not forget who is on the throne and was on the throne forever. And let us make wise choices as we go forward and, and um, be an example. 
like like Daniel is an example. And um, while you're in your prayer time, if you could pray about, um, the prayer focus is just praying about being obedient in the battle plan. So thank you so much, guys.